Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. God, we just thank you for coming down from heaven to be the bread of life for us. We pray this morning, dear God, that you would fill us with who you are. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray. Speak to each one of us now through your word. In Christ's name, amen. When you came in this morning, as you're sitting here, are you hungry? Are you hungry? What are you hungry for? What do you think is missing that you think would fill you? Can God fill you? Will God fill you? That's what God wants to do this morning for each one of us here. He sees our hunger. He sees my hunger. He sees your hunger. And he wants to meet you right now, right here. He wants to satisfy your and my hunger. He wants to be the bread of life for you and for me. Verse 25 here in John 6, it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when, do you, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now the context here in John chapter 6, just to kind of remind ourselves, the chapter begins with the feeding of the 5,000. And then in the interluding verses that we're skipping over here, I encourage you to study them, verse 16 to 24, Jesus withdraws by himself and he appears to the disciples by walking on the water. And in verse 26, Jesus tells this crowd, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The people chased Jesus because they wanted him to fix their problems. They missed the sign, however. Jesus says, remember how important signs are in the Gospel of John. They missed the sign. What was the sign pointing to? The sign for what? How many times have you guys, <laughs> this happened to me, been driving down 417 or 408 or on I-4, and all of a sudden you, you realize you, you, you saw the sign, but you didn't take the exit. You missed your exit, right? That's happened to you, right? <laughs> How many times do we miss the sign in life? How many times do we pray, we get an answer, we eat, and we have our fill, and we don't see the sign? The sign of what? The sign that John the Apostle says is the theme of this whole book, that Jesus is who he said he was. 
Jesus promised to you and to me that he would, he promised that he would, he keeps his promise to us of what he would be. He is God. Not just any God, but Jesus himself, not to mention those miracles, is a sign pointing to the goodness of God. In verse 27, it goes on and says, Do not work for food that spoils. Jesus points to an all-familiar reality to his audience. They, didn't, they lived without refrigeration. Their food spoiled, right? You say, we don't have that problem. We got refrigerators. But you know what food spoils still? The food of this world spoils. It doesn't keep. It still spoils. And he asks, what food are you working for? What food are you working for? Do not work for the food that spoils, he says in verse 27. Now, many of you at work, um, it's the end of our physical year at uh, um, East West, and we have evaluations every year, and many of you all have those as well, right? Your annual job evaluations. And what I want to suggest for you this week, beginning even today, is for you to do an annual heart evaluation, to do a heart audit, to do a 360 on your heart with this question that Jesus has, what are you working for? What are you actually working for? What are we striving for? Because as we've talked about, discipleship has two different sides to it, and we're big on discipleship here, but one side is making disciples, right? But the other side is being a disciple, discipling your own heart. And that's what we're talking about here. To disciple yourself before you disciple others. You have to be a disciple in order to make disciples. Being comes before doing. And what is your focus? Is it on being or doing? What are you working for? We all have so much to do, right? <laughs> it never ends, it seems like. But what are we really doing all that for? We work for so many things. Um, we work for security, financial security, right? All of us, that's a, a pinch. We listen to Dave Ramsey to try to work out the details and get it. But I think that financial security is a deception in the American dream. The reason why is it's just a mirage. In the rest of the world, very few people have financial security, right? The truth is, is that your 401k never really makes you safe from risk, even if the balance is where you would want it to be. It secures very little. There is no security in this life. This world spoils some of us work for power, for that promotion. We all want to be the boss. Even in ministry, right? We, we want to be the one who's appointed to be the team leader. You know, I remember when Don and I were first married, we're on campus at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, and they appointed a new campus director, and they didn't appoint me, right? And I felt looked over. Um, it's easy to measure ourselves by the validation of our job title. And many of you have felt overlooked, in your work or at other times. And as the youngest of six kids, it's a very familiar feeling for me. Uh, Jesus knows that feeling, the feeling of being overlooked. 
got to be careful what we work for, Jesus says. It spoils. Don't let a bureaucracy define your identity. Jesus is talking about here the bread that lasts. Some of us work for a comfortable life, for the American dream, for the, and we, we, we collect things. And I heard recently an author say, and this really hit me, it says, accumulation is a capitulation to a lack of being known. Things, as consumers, us thinking that we have life based upon how nice our car is, our house, our furniture, all that, it's really me conceding to not being known and being satisfied for something much less, something that spoils. Some of us are in retirement. We've been working for retirement, right? For leisure, for comfort. Is that really filling? John Piper, in a very famous sermon, tells the story from Reader's Digest of a couple from New England who'd worked and finally had added their nest egg, right? And they retired here to Punta Gorda, Florida. Familiar story here, right? And they were proud uh, of their lifestyle that they were able to have. They now bought a trawler, right, on the intercoastal waterway. And they were proud because they said they could go around to different beaches and collect shells. And Piper asks, is that really what we want our life to be about? A shell collection. Shells, seashells. He says, it's an incredible tragedy. He says, when you get to heaven, do you want to say to God, look at my seashell collection? And that's the story that a lot of people here in Florida live, and we have to be careful about our own hearts. He also said that some people don't want, a lot of us don't want our life to matter. We just want to be liked. It's convicting stepping on my own toes, right? Is that what we're working for, to please other people? We, we just sang the song. The different things that we look for from life as opposed to being Christ, because being liked spoils. Did you know applause spoils? Uh, I deal with this. It's being honest with you as a preacher. And um, I had a counselor ask me, Dave, why, why are you a pastor? Why do you keep going back to a church that hurts you? And I think, why do I do that? I was thinking about that. And I'm a people pleaser. I grew up as a compliant child. That's one of my search for significant lies that I buy into, that I am what other people think of me. And it's easy for me to measure myself by how well I do a sermon, how impressed you are right, with, with my exegesis or my delivery um, my, my flesh, that's just the way my flesh works. And you know, somebody said, Dave, you did a really good job. And, and, I, and I feel a little better, but then I think, okay, that meant I didn't do a good job last week. <laughs> and Donna says, Dave, your preaching is much better. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right, thanks, I think. What did that really mean? Um, but applause spoils. It's a two-edged sword. You can't live by it, because if you live by it, you die by it. And I have to constantly sort my own heart out right? It rarely lasts, and it often turns to criticism, and then it cuts even deeper. Um, uh, it's the what have you done for me lately paradox, and some of you deal with that at work, right? Um, what are we working for? People-pleasing achievement is a vicious task master. And in verse 27, Jesus says, work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And Jesus here is alluding to the Old Testament passage in Isaiah 55. It talks about the suffering sermon. Uh, sir, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Isaiah is prophesying to us. Listen, listen to me, 
Eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest fare. Give ear and hear to me. He said it two times. He's wanting our attention. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful, loved, promised to David. Did you hear that? My faithful love promised to David. So Jesus uses this phrase, eternal life, right? Work for eternal life. And this occurs 25 times in the gospel, six, six times, 16 times in the gospel of John, and five times in this chapter here in verse 6. So eternal life is a major theme, right? It's not just about living forever, right? Because even the unredeemed live forever in hell. It's not that. It's about eternal life is living forever, knowing God, right? It's about a covenantal relationship of fellowship and intimacy with God through Jesus Christ. This promise that God said that he promised to David, his favor, his love promised to David, that we are his beloved child. And then in verse 28 it says, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? You know, Jesus talked about his identity as the son of man, and they totally missed that, and they asked about their role. What must me do to do what God requires? And this question uh, that mankind has always asked in religion, what must we do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? Do, 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 do. It's easy to make religion out of anything, including the Bible, including Christianity, right? To make it a list of doing no, biblical Christianity is not about doing, it's about what has already been done. That's what this bread is about. What must we do that God requires? You can't, that's the answer, you can't. You can't do what God requires. You fail, we all have. Looking around the room here. <laughs> I love you guys, but we all fall short, right? We're a broken lot. And then in verse 29, Jesus answered their question, the work of God is to believe in the one who he has sent. What do we have to do? Believe in the one he has sent. This is the theme of John's gospel, believe and live. We've talked about it. Not do and live, believe and live, right? Not consume and find life. Believe and live. Not be popular and live, not be successful and live. Believe and live. Live, live life, eternal life. Y'all have heard of Everlast Sport Equipment, the brand Everlast. They make boxing gloves. You see them, right? Everlast means it lasts forever. And this is Everlast Life. Life that lasts. Life that never gives out. The life that Jesus wants to give us is a life that will never disappoint. So they hear him when he says that they need to believe. believe, and then, So they ask him, why? Why should we believe in you? Verse 30, so they asked him, what sign will you give me that we may see this and believe? What, what will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. It is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. All right, they tell Jesus. You say we should believe that you're sent from God. Show us a sign. We want a sign. We want a little magic. Give us a little hocus pocus so that we can believe. What will you do for me? They ask. And a lot of us have that same question that we end up asking God. What will you do for me? What's in it for me? 
How is following you going to make my life better? Do me a miracle. Fix my problems and then I'll follow you. Unfortunately, this is bubblegum Christianity, right? Stick in your nickel and you think you get out your gum. The problem with that uh, mental arrangement is that you will feel disappointed because you'll think, I put in my nickel, where's my gum? That's not the way God works. He's not a big vending machine in the sky. And sometimes we do that. We would just listen to our prayers. We often give God these long shopping lists of what we want, right? Health and wealth and happiness. And, but do we see God as a vending machine? Is that what we're approaching? Are we approaching him for relationship as Jesus is talking about here? In verse 32, goes on. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who had given you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives eternal life. Jesus tells them, manna doesn't mean what you think it means. Manna does not mean the absence of want. Manna was a sign of the truth and the faithfulness of God to save. The truth of God to save. See, bread in an oriental culture is a sign of hospitality that often seals relationships. And uh, when Don and I first got married in the early 90s, we had, a, had an opportunity to go to Albania um, and be a part of Project Arrow. Many of you may have known about that with the Jesus film. We're trying to go show the Jesus film in every single village in Albania. And so we worked with this uh, Swiss mission. We took helicopters, and they fly us, and uh, the team that I was with, they flew us into the mountains of Albania. And one of the villages that we went into here had a, from the top house to the bottom house was a difference in elevation of 1,500 feet. <laughs> if you can, that tells you the trails are going running up and down. So we, we fly in with the helicopter and circle. These people don't know we're coming. We come loaded with the Jesus film projector and all that is, and we drop down, find a place to land. That's kind of hairy. You don't know what, where the wires are. It's kind of crazy when you do that in a helicopter. And they all of a sudden, a whole village runs out to greet you, right? And you tell them, we're here to show you a film. We'd like to show you a film tonight when it gets dark. And this family invited us into their home. They didn't know who we were. We literally dropped out of the sky. And they come and they welcome us. In an amazing way, there's such a value of hospitality. And they cooked us a meal on this hearth. Literally, the sheep that was banging out when we walked in, they slaughter it and they cook it, right? And we sit for two hours until it's done. And they bring in the bread that the wife has cooked in a skillet. So it's, it's round because it's been cooked in a skillet on the fire, right? And the host takes it and he breaks it. And he hands it to everyone around the table. Bread is a sign of covenanted hospitality. And in an Albanian culture, this is called besa, is the word, besa. And it means an, a pledge of honor. Literally, the word can be translated in an oath to keep the promise, word of honor, faith, good faith. And in their culture, when they invite us into their home, they would give their life for us if anyone threatened them, even though they don't know us. That's what Besa means. It means it's a blood oath that I will die for you. And that's the picture here that God has 
of bread is the bread of life that was given for us. In Genesis chapter 15, literally when God makes this covenant with Abraham and he has this covenantal ceremony, they spl- he splits the ox open. I don't know if you know that. And you know, God walks between the two halves. What is he saying? He's saying, if I don't keep this oath, may this, what happened to this animal happen to me. And when we're breaking the bread, that's what God is doing. He's saying, if I don't keep my promise to you of love, of forgiveness, of life, may this happen to me. This is my good faith promise to you. So we get this phrase, breaking a bread together, and it means more than eating. It implies friendship. It implies a relationship. It's this Old Testament ritual, right, of a covenantal establishing of relationship, right? And it's not based on who we are. That's not what that this hospitality was based at Nabani. It was based on their character, on their oath, their word for us, right? And so we see this repeatedly in Scripture, that Old Testament, the bread is a is a ritual item, and it's even used for sacrifice in the Old Testament, right? We talk about the leaven or yeast in bread as this metaphor for sin, and that's why God always required a sacrifice of unleavened bread without yeast. In Leviticus chapter uh, 2, it talks about this grain offering that has to be made um, in the Old Testament uh, from the first fruits of, of, the, of, the, of the wheat harvest, Lord, and it's literally brought in, and, it, and the wheat is crushed, and these broken bits are put together and they're sacrificed on the altar as a burnt offering. An aroma that's pleading to a, pleasing to a righteous God and a just God. And so we also had the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Old Testament. And y'all know matzah bread, right? <laughs> you know what unleavened bread is at, 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 at Easter. And, and it was eaten because it, it, at Passover that night, at the meal, there was you know, escaping from Egypt and it, they were commanded to eat this unleavened bread to celebrate this every year. There was another festival called the Feast of Weeks in, Ezekiel, in Exodus chapter 34, and the people offered this first fruits of the harvest to God. You read in the book of Ruth about how Ruth gleaned right, wheat on the threshing floor and how Boaz came in as a type of Christ, and he adopted her as a foreigner. He let her, he let her um, to, to glean from his wheat and he, he meets her on the threshing floor, which is literally in the Old Testament. It's a sign of judgment. That's what a threshing floor is, where the wheat is crushed. So God covers us with his grace in the place of judgment. And so Jesus says, you missed the point. Man is not the point. Bread is not the point. God is the real bread. I am the real bread. He is the point that he says, I am the true bread from heaven. But they still aren't, don't have a clue they say, he says, I'm the, real, I'm, the, I'm the true bread. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And they say, Lord, give us this bread. They say, give us this bread, right? We want this bread all the time. Lord, we want some wonder bread, some white bread, right? Lord, make me a sandwich, our boys used to have a joke about that. Make me a sandwich. Always give us this bread. And then in verse 35, uh, hang on, got to find this place. Verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. See, bread was their daily staple. So what they mean when we talk about daily bread. They had to make it every day. A lot of the world, bread is life. They don't have bread, they don't live. Jesus is saying, I am your life. You know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Do you know what Bethlehem means? City of bread. 
The one who was the living bread was born in the city of bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He means that I am more than human mere bread. He means I want to save and satisfy you forever. And so in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, Jesus says, The whole point of God sending manna was to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The only nourishment in this life is God himself. And in verse 36, Jesus goes on and says, But I told you, you've seen me and you don't believe. Verse, skipping down to verse 44, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, believes in him, shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says, Eat me. Feed on me. And you will be saved. You will have eternal life. Let me be your daily manna. Let me be your unleavened bread, your sinless sacrifice that marks the exodus out of your slavery of your past. I will be crushed like wheat for you. I will take your sin, your leaven, be sacrificed and consumed by the fire of God's holy wrath that was rightfully yours and mine. Winnow my life on the threshing floor of God's righteousness and holy judgment. Make me like a loaf offered up for you. So there's a lot here when Jesus talks about I am the bread of life. Verse, uh, skipping down to verse uh, 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world, for the life of Dave, for the life of Donna, right? For the life of Tammy, for the life of Mike for the life of Alan, for the life of all of us, Rex. He's given this so we would have daily life, daily bread now. Are you hungry? Jesus says, feed on me. Feed on me. And so we're coming here to communion, and Bill and Tammy, you can come on up. Um, uh, we're going to do communion a little bit differently today. Um, this is, this is a way of doing communion. It's called intinction. Um, we're going to come up. I'm going to break the bread. And uh, you're going to come up and tear off a piece of the bread. And then you're going to dip it in the cup. Right? And we're going to take it together. In verse 53, Jesus said to them, Very truly, and I want you to think about this with the mind and the lens of communion. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats this flesh and drinks this blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats this flesh and drinks this blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever eats this bread will live forever. And so, Jesus says he wants to be our living, our living bread. Are you hungry? When you come to this table, feed on him and the promise that he gave to us, he gave to them, is true for us today. In Luke 22, the account of the Last Supper the night before Christ died says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with them, and he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
Christ earnestly desires to eat this meal, this covenantal meal with you and I, right? For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's the fulfillment that he is fulfilled now in us. That's what Jesus was doing all this for. And it says he took the bread and he gave thanks. Christ, we thank you that you are our bread of life. God, the Father, that you would sacrifice the Son for us, the living bread that came down out of heaven for us. It says he took the bread and he broke it for us, for you, for me. And it says that he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. When we come to the table today, we'll come forward. Here you go. Wrap that up in there. And you'll take a piece of the bread and tear it off. And I know this is different than the way that we normally do it. But I think it's important because of what this passage is talking about today for us to have a concrete experience of what Jesus was trying to symbolize. You'll take off a piece of the bread, you'll tear it, and then you'll dip it in the cup and receive it. So Amy, if you'll come. I also have gluten-free for anyone here who's allergic to that. So go ahead and take the elements. So come, meditate, pray, and when you're ready, come to receive the bread of life.
Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This, is my, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus said, are, we hung- are you hungry? Feed on me. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the only one, Lord, who has real life and you offered to give that to us. You want to fill that in us, Lord. You want to satisfy us with who you are. We pray that you would do that today and this week. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.